turn to Psalm 81. We're uh, finishing up uh, just looking at some selected psalms this summer. Uh, Lord willing, next week uh, we will begin uh, a study uh, of Deuteronomy. And uh, I know that we could be three years in Deuteronomy, not to scare you. We won't be three years in Deuteronomy. We're going to take it in large chunks, but even um, this week... uh, our family got away for a couple of days to end the summer and just sitting and, and studying that book. It's a good book, and I think, I think we're going to call it Seconds. God, is in His grace, is giving them the law a second time. They're standing on the cusp of the promised land. They have journeyed for 40 years because of their disobedience and what could have taken 11 days. And yet for 40 years they wandered in the, in the desert. And I thought about that even in, in Psalm 81 here, and you can see I, I titled this, What Might Have Been, How to Avoid the, the Woulda, the Coulda, or even the Shoulda. And I thought about that yesterday. I, I had one of those moments. I told my wife I got yesterday afternoon, we got back into town, and uh, Clay had invited me to play Ultimate Frisbee yesterday. And uh, so from about 4.30 to 6.30, we went and played Ultimate Frisbee, and I and I had one of those experiences. It was the first time in this setting that I experienced that. I was the oldest person there. And it's not like, it's not like we were there with five-year-olds, six-year-olds. I've been the oldest person in the room before. I've, ne- I've never been the oldest person in a, in a bunch of athletes. Well, I, I, I say athlete, you know, what, what might have been appropriate title. But yeah, I was the older person there. And somebody thought it would be wise, not, not to mention any names, Clay, to have everyone over 24 play against everyone under 24. What might have been? What might have been? So uh, I, about 8.30 last night, I said, Karen, I feel, like I, just, I feel like I was in an accident or something. I feel like I was in a, like a train wreck or something. So, uh, but I, I feel okay today. I could get out of bed, and there was, there were, they were casting lots as to whether I could get out of bed this morning and make it here, but I did. I did. So uh, Psalm 81. Uh, let's read together and, and we will uh, study the word today. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. Raise a song, strike the timbrel, the sweet sounding lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. He established it for a testimony in Joseph. When he went throughout the land of Egypt, I heard a language that I did not know. I relieved his shoulder of the burden. His hands were freed from the basket. You called in trouble and I rescued you. I answered you in the hiding place of thunder. I proved you at the waters of Meribah. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you would listen to me. Let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart, to walk in their own devices. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies. And turn my hand against their adversaries. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to Him, and their time of punishment would be forever. But I would feed you with the finest of wheat and with honey from the rock 
I would satisfy you. Lord, help us to see all that is here. Help us to not go any further than you want us to go. Lord, but help us to go as far as you want us to go and see the truth. Not only as we look at Israel, but Lord, as we look at our own lives. Lord, help us to live lives that we will not look back and wish and wonder what could have been. Help us to not miss the opportunities that you've graciously given us to make much of you and to, at your service, establish your kingdom here on earth. Lord, help us to look upon this word and learn from it. And Lord, that you would dissect our own hearts, shine a light upon our lives. That we would repent of any areas that are not in accord, not in alignment with your word. And Lord, that we would know what to pursue with our lives instead. Help us to not waste our lives. Give us the wisdom to not waste our lives. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Israel, chosen by God. They were nobodies. And yet God in His mercy and His grace chose them. And the same goes for every single one of us who are believers. God stepped in. He intervened. Ephesians 2.1 would say that He brought us back from the dead. John 3, new birth. And with that, God puts possibility. There is possibility in every life. There is potential in every life. Every single one of our lives can count for God's purpose. And that right there is the tragedy of a wasted life. The, 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 the ingredients, if you will, the possibility, the grace, all of that has been given to avoid a wasted life, to, to live a life that counts. And the great news of, of today and, and what we'll see in this psalm, God is in the business of recycling Wasted lives. God is in the business of restoring the years that the locust has eat away. And when a person trusts in Christ, when they repent of their sinfulness, there's hope. There's new hope. Sins are washed away. You're, you're made a new creature in Jesus Christ. And the person, the person now lives under the lordship to Jesus Christ. God's potential is unfolded, if you will. Romans 12, 3 says that there's been a measure of faith that has been doled out to each of us. Literally, the word there is like a measuring cup in a recipe. You were given a measure of faith. God has given you in grace a measure of faith. And we have in the, in the Bible and, and, and even in our own lives pictures of this marvelous grace. Paul would be a picture of that. Paul, Paul stands watching as Stephen is stoned to death, cheering it on. It goes on to say that he got permission to go out seeking Christians to bring them back to persecute them. And then God meets him on the Damascus Road and he becomes the greatest missionary for Christ that, that we've ever seen. Writer of most of the books of the New Testament. Augustine would be a trophy of God's grace, a testimony to the power of the gospel, saved from a life of impurity, 
become a man who probably had a, 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 one of the largest impacts, one of the impacts, one of the largest influencers of the church in the first 1,500 years of the church, Augustine, John Newton. Many of you know the story of John Newton. He goes from a slave trader to a pastor to a hymn writer, authoring one of the most well-known hymns of all times, Amazing Grace. His life would be a picture of the potential, the, the possibility, the fact that God is able. But you and I who are here today and are saved, don't, don't minimize salvation in our lives either. If you're saved today, something tremendous has taken place in your life as well. You have been brought back from the dead. You have been given life where there was death. God has taken your sin, just like we sang this morning, and He nailed it to the cross. He forgave the debt, a debt we could never have been paid. John 3, you have been born again. You have been given a new identity. You have a new master. You have a new inheritance. On and on and on. There's potential. There's grace. But the terrifying reality is that all of God's grace and all of that potential and everything that God has afforded to you, all those mercies that Paul talks about in Romans 12, they can be wasted if we're not careful. How will we respond to God's grace and His mercy? How will we respond to the salvation that He's offered us? Will, will, we, will we allow God to do great things through us? Or will we treat it with contempt, let's say? Will we not see it for what it truly is? Regarding, regarding, you know, and we think about that. We think about missed opportunities and we think about what could have been. And, and I hear, I know some people will say, well, you know, there's, there's no use in crying over spilled milk, so to speak. You know, God is sovereign and, you know, whatever happens, happens. And, you know, and there, there's a part of that that's true. Certainly God is sovereign. And we draw great strength and great comfort from God's sovereignty. Graham Scroggie, we've said it before, says, He is at peace whose God is sovereign. God's sovereignty certainly brings great peace. But the Bible clearly shows us that God even Himself will lament, has lamented at times for what could have been. And that's what we see here in Psalm 81. He is lamenting over what could have been with regards to Israel. God knows in His sovereignty, in His omniscience, He knows everything, not only things that did happen and will happen, God knows everything that could have happened. That's how far His knowledge goes. We see pictures of that in the Bible, even with Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, if Sodom and Gomorrah would have been shown what you have been shown, they would have repented in sackcloth and ashes long ago. Even the possibilities of what could have happened, God knows. God's Word is clear that it is beneficial and it is instructive at times to pause and examine our lives, to look, are we shepherding, are we stewarding God's grace well? Are we living rightly? What are we doing with our lives? And it is good to, to take an inventory of that so that we don't waste our lives, even to look at other people's mistakes so that we don't make the same ones. And in Psalm 81, God is lamenting over what might have been, and He's doing it through Asaph. What could have been? What might have been? 
as he ponders the history of Israel, God's chosen people, God mourns over what he could have done in them and through them if they would have simply obeyed. If they would have simply followed him. It is is an undeniable mystery that while God is all-powerful and nothing can thwart His sovereign purpose, at the same time, we're responsible. And He does limit that in accord to our obedience. We must respond. God is sovereign, and yet man is responsible. And we better just leave those two alone. You'll never reconcile those. I, I, I read a quote one time that says, you know what, so they asked a theologian about that, and he says, you don't have to reconcile old friends. God is sovereign. Man is responsible. We're responsible for how we respond to grace. We're responsible for how we steward the grace. And so I want to look at Psalm 81 and learn what God teaches us here in order to avoid missed opportunities, in order to avoid waste, uh, a wasted life, in, a, in order to avoid looking back on our lives and saying, you know, oh, what might have been. Oh, oh, what might have been. Let, let's learn from Israel. And, 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 and I'm going to read Psalm 81, and then, and then we'll, uh, well, for the sake of time, I'll read it as we go. Just for the sake of time, I'll read it as we go. Verses, verses 1 through 4 here, the first thing you'll see on your handouts, the first thing I think that God is teaching us here uh, through this psalm is this. Don't waste the opportunity to praise God for who He is. Don't waste Don't miss the opportunity that you have in your life to praise God for who He is. Asaph writes, sing for joy to God our strength. I already read this, didn't I? I said I'm going to read it. I already read it. Hello. That's what Lee usually does. I'm all out of whack here. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Strike the timbrel, the sweet-sounding lyre with the heart. Blow the trumpet at the new moon at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel and an ordinance of the God of Jacob. He's saying praise Him. Don't, don't miss the opportunity to praise Him. And in order to fully understand what, what's going on here, what God's Word is teaching us here, we need to look at the background of this psalm. This psalm was to be sung in, in the feast day. You see that in, in verse 3. Most scholars think it had to do with the Feast of Tabernacles. The feast of, there were seven feasts. The Feast of Tabernacles was celebrated for seven days. It, it literally, people would make booths. They would live in them. And the focus was to remind Israel of their redemption from Egypt. It was to remind them that it was God who redeemed them from Egypt, who brought them out of captivity in Egypt, who tabernacled, who dwelt among them, who protected them, He sustained them. We'll see in Deuteronomy how Moses reminds them, you never went without in 40 years. Your clothes didn't wear out. He says your sandals didn't wear out. You never went hungry. These, these, these feasts were meant to commemorate God's faithfulness, and they were to result in praise. It, it was also a time that they, they would give thanks for the harvest that was just uh, completed. It, it followed the Day of Atonement, and it was a time to celebrate. It was a time to celebrate forgiveness. It was a time to celebrate reconciliation with God. It was a time to celebrate His bountiful provision. It was to celebrate His past faithfulness. It was the most joyous of the Jewish feasts. God had done great things for Israel, and they were to praise Him. They were to praise Him. 
And the feast reminded them, praise God. Stop, take the time to praise God. Don't miss the opportunity to praise God. And, and in light of this, you wonder why this, this psalm kind of has a downer to it. You know, everybody is, it's a joyous time, everybody's celebrating, and yet Asaph is focusing here on the disobedience in many regards of God's people. And I believe that Asaph is teaching, and God is teaching us through, through Asaph a valuable lesson. He's saying, yes, absolutely, come and rejoice. Come celebrate. But in your rejoicing, in your rejoicing remember the past. Remember, remember God's faithfulness. Even in the midst of your sinfulness, you remember God's faithfulness. And you, you, you remember the fact of, of, of what might have been if you had simply obeyed. Learn from your mistakes, he's saying. Okay, God has been really good. God has been really good. But He's been really good in the midst of us being really bad. He's been really good in the midst of even our wondering and our disobedience. And he's saying there ought to be a solemn note. There ought to be a, an, an, uh, a sense of wonder and awe, even in your remembrance, in that God was faithful even when we were not. It's not as if God has been faithful to a people that always warranted His faithfulness. God has been good to a people who did not warrant His faithfulness. And, and Asaph and, and, and God ultimately is saying, hey, Keep God at the center of your praise. Don't let man become the center of your praise. Understand that we didn't deserve it, we didn't warrant it, but God gave it anyway. He provided anyway. And in these feasts, God is gathering, He's gathering them uh, in, around holiness, and He's gathering His people in happiness, but their holiness and their happiness was centered upon God. They were not the center. Their holiness and their happiness of these feasts and their remembering, the focus was God. God was at the center of it. He was the reason Israel was a people. He's the reason we're here today and are a people. We exist to praise God. And yet sometimes we find ourselves gathering for so many other reasons. And Asaph is saying, you know what, however great, you know, God is great, but think about what could have been. Think about those areas of your lives that don't line up with God's word and think about how great God's grace could have even been had we simply followed. The great things God could have done, oh, if we would have just lent ourselves to Him, if we would have just followed. And the reality is this, all areas of life would be immensely greater if we would simply pursue God with a life of praise for the things He's done, if we would simply pursue God. All areas. No matter how great it is, if we would simply follow. And this praise we are called to, it's not just what we do here, it's every area of our life. It is submitting to God in every area of our life. That's what brings praise to God. It is total submission to God. It's interesting, the, the last psalm, Psalm 150, listen to what he says. 
Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty expanse. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with the trumpet sound. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with the timbrel and dancing. Praise Him with stringed instruments and pipe. Praise Him with loud cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Israel had much to praise God for. But you and I have much to praise God for. It's interesting, in, in Ephesians 5, 18, it talks about the Spirit-filled, the Spirit-controlled believer, and the first evidence of a Spirit-filled, Spirit-controlled believer is worship. Ephesians 5, 18 and 19. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. First evidence, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. First evidence of a spirit-filled person is a praiseful person. Somebody who offers praise to the Lord. He goes on to say it's a thankful person in verse 20. In, in verses 21 and following, he says it's a, it's a submissive person. Husband, wives to husbands, husbands to the Lord. In Ephesians 6, he says, you show me a child that, that is obeying and submissive to his parents, I'll show you a spirit-filled child. You show me a child that's not willing to obey their parents, and I'll show you a child that's not spirit-filled. It's a dad who doesn't provoke his child to anger. It's a slave being submissive to his master. But the first evidence was worship. The first, the first thing when you, when you realize, even as Daniel was singing there, I, I had to stop singing because I was just overwhelmed with just how good God has been to us. We have found our hope. We have found our peace. Everything that we've looked for in all these other places, guess what? We find it in God. We were meant to find it in God. That's the whole purpose. And God has wired us, listen to me, God has wired us to be worshipers. We were created to be worshipers by design. And yet, here's what determines what we will worship. We will worship what we value. We, are, we were designed to be worshipers. The problem is, is we end up worshiping the wrong things. We get our value systems out of whack. But we will always value that which we, or we will worship that which we value. We will worship whatever matters most to us. Trust me. And our worship will tell the world what we value the most. Again, we see it in Romans 12, 1 and 2. As I, as I, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Verse 3, so that you'll prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. He's saying worship goes way beyond singing a song. Worship goes, goes to how you structure your life and how you live your life. We worship God by living for Him. That's what Paul is saying. It's not just by coming and singing a song. We worship God by living for Him 24-7. Why? Because He's worthy. So I challenge you, as Asaph says here in the verse 4, four verses, don't miss the opportunity that we have before us to praise God 
for the great things He has done. Don't waste the opportunities you've been given to praise God. And I say that, and I, and I know that, I know, even, even those up on this praise team today, I was praying for, I know they're walking through hard things, and yet they're praising. No matter what you're walking through today, praise God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything, in everything, give thanks. In Ephesians, he says, for everything, give thanks. No matter what we're walking through, God is worthy of praise. Don't miss the opportunity to praise God. Don't waste where God has you by not praising God. Secondly, he says, don't waste the opportunity of remembering what God has done. So not only praising, don't miss the opportunity to praise, don't miss the opportunity to remember, don't miss the opportunity to take an inventory of the great things God has done. And, and, and he says that in verses 5 through 10. And it's interesting, time and time again as I studied Deuteronomy this week, preparing for next week, and time and time again as I read the Psalms, here's the one thing they say, there is no God like this God. The God of this Bible is utterly unique. There is no God like this God. You take all the other false gods out there, there's none like this true God. And Asaph here is reminding them of the great things that God has done for them throughout their history and oftentimes in spite of their disobedience. In spite of their disobedience. The testimony, he says in verse 5, he established it for a testimony in Joseph. We... We praise as we remember as, and as we look ahead with confidence. God has been faithful all this time. You know what it tells me? God will keep being faithful. He'll continue being faithful. And, and Asaph here, not only to Israel, but for us, he recalls two characteristics of God that they ought to remember. Two characteristics that they had experienced firsthand, that their lives and their history as a nation would give testimony to. And the first one is this, God as a rescuer. A rescuer. And he says in verses 5 through 7, and specifically it culminates in verse 7, you called in trouble and I rescued you. It was God that brought them out of Egypt. Himself, personally. He had rescued them. But guess what? The New Testament would say that He's also rescued us from the domain of sin and darkness. He's rescued us. We've experienced, if, if you're here today and you're trusting in the, the blood of Jesus alone to forgive you of your sins, He has rescued you from Satan's domain and He has placed you in a new domain under a new lordship and that is Jesus Christ. But not only that, as a rescuer, they saw God as a provider. He says, I, you called in trouble and I rescued you. I answered you in the hiding place of thunder. I proved you at the waters of Meribah. I provided water out of the rock. I provided manna. You wandered for 40 years and I provided for you faithfully day in and day out. Guess what? He's provided for us as well. Wonderful provider. Provides for us. And if they were not careful, see, they had put things in place so that they would not forget this. They had, they had 
they had altars, they had different things, these feasts in place, so that they did not forget the great things that God had done. These feasts were designed to, for them to remember the great God that they served. To remember. They were built-in safeguards to keep them from wandering away and forgetting about the great things that God has done. It's interesting, in Luke and with the, with the Lord's Supper, what does Jesus say? He says, do this in what? Hmm. Even the Lord's Supper that we do on the, mostly on the third Sunday of each month, we do that so that we never get very far from remembering the cost, from remembering what it took to make us who were not a people, a people, to give us who had no hope, hope. To remember. Dr. Constable made the following statement regarding remembering. He says, Review God's past faithfulness and grace periodically and regularly because recalling His faithfulness will challenge His people to remain faithful to Him. You will look at your history and see the faithfulness of the one true God and it will prompt you to be faithful. It's interesting, in, in light of even Hebrews 23 and t- through 25, he says, Do not forsake the assembling together, which is the habit of some, but instead encourage one another, spur one another on. We gather here today to help each other remember. We're gathered today to recall God's faithfulness, to remember the great things God has done. That's why we've gathered. To praise Him. To recall, to remember Even the fact that we worship on Sunday is because we are worshiping in honor of the Lord's resurrection. We're remembering the Lord's resurrection even in our worship on Sunday. We're remembering. Look look with me at Romans 15 verse 4. Phenomenal passage, one of my my favorites. I I go to it regularly. Romans 15 4, Paul says, For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope you know what we have you know why god in his grace he gave us this word that we'd have hope that we'd be instructed that we'd see how great he is that we'd learn to not doubt his faithfulness that not learn to not doubt his goodness so that we'd see how worthy of praise He is, that we'd be reminded of His faithfulness. But it's also to guide us into future faithfulness. We have a great hope because of the great things God has done. And guess what? He who has been faithful all these years will not cease being faithful. And what Asaph is telling us and what the Lord is telling us, and this is true not only of Israel, but it's true of us, God alone accomplished Israel's freedom. But guess what? He alone accomplished our freedom. We could not break the bondage to sin. We could not break the bondage of the, the wages of sin, Romans 6, 23, it says, is death. And God alone broke that by putting His Son on the cross. His Son died where we deserve to die and purchased our freedom. But God alone provided for Israel and He alone provides for us. That's what Asaph is telling us. And he's saying, guys, remember this. And I'm saying, remember this. Don't miss the opportunity that we have through our life to remember and give praise for the great things that God has done. And as we remember, we'll praise. 
as we remember, we'll worship. Don't, don't forget. Don't waste the opportunity we have to remember God's faithfulness and to praise. But not only that, don't waste the opportunity to listen to what God has to say. Don't waste the opportunity we have to hear from God. Verses 8 through 12. Hear, O my people, and I will admonish you. O Israel, if you would listen to me, let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. I love that verse. Open your mouth wide. You think about, I think about it like a mother bird bringing the food to, to the baby, and all that baby, just open your mouth, and I'll place it in your... He's saying, if you'll open your mouth, I'll fill it. But guess what? Israel's response was this, but my people did not listen to my voice. And Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart to walk in their own devices. Think about how our lives would be different if we truly committed to listening to God. If we truly committed to focusing on God and His voice more than anything else. Think about the joy. Think about the blessing. Think about the peace. Think about the confidence. Think about the hope. Think about the the lack of fear that we're missing by not trusting and hearing. A lot of what we worry about and pray for, God has already spoken to. He's already given a precious promises. 2 Corinthians 1, 20 and 21 says, For as many as are promises of God in Him, Jesus Christ, they're yes. He's already played His hand. He's already showed the cards. I'm in. I'll do that. But we don't listen. And we don't know God's word. Look, look with me at a, 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 a Jeremiah 7 for a moment. Another one of those just, you think to yourself, what in the world? Jeremiah 7 verses 12, that should be 12 through 15, not 2 through 15. Listen to this. Jeremiah 7 verse 12. But go now to my place, which was in Shiloh, where I made my name dwell at the first. And see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. And now, because you have done all these things, declares the Lord, listen to this, and I spoke to you, rising up early and speaking, but you did not hear. I called out, but you did not answer. Can can you imagine that? Can you imagine for a moment... Standing God up? Can you imagine for a moment that God is waiting to give them a word? He's longing to meet with them and you don't show up? I mean, think about that. I mean, that's unimaginable. And as I'm sitting there critiquing them, Holy Spirit says, what about you, Chris? How many times God had a word for you? You didn't show up. You didn't take time to listen. You didn't take time to dig in the Word. I, I have spoken. God has spoken. And here it is. There's nothing new. There's not going to be anything more. He's going to guide us through His Word. All Scripture has been God, is God-breathed, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. 2 Peter 1.3, seeing that His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. But where? It's according to knowledge. 
It's according to the knowledge of this word. He's spoken. But, but I don't show up. I, don't, I miss the opportunity to listen to what he has to say. To how he wants to speak to me through his word. He doesn't speak through other, he speaks through his word. I, I don't, I'm just, I'll go on record. I don't care what other people say. He speaks through his word. He speaks through his word. It's not what you feel in your gut. It's not, it's not just, oh, he speaks through his word. It's closed. This is the word. This is everything we need for life and godliness has been given to us through a knowledge of his word. We're not listening. Don't miss the opportunity to listen. And, and when difficult times come, guess what? The word says God's there for me. The question becomes, do I turn to him and his word or do I turn to others? God speaks through his word. Now, certainly, he, everything he says to us is going to be in relation to this word. That's what I mean by that. He's not adding to it. Know this word. Listen to the word. He speaks through the word. You look, look at me, Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1, God, after he spoke, verse 1, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions in many ways... He, he spoke in the Old Testament through those. In these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. Where do we have the recollection of the Word of God that Jesus spoke? It's the Word. John 1.1, 1, 1, He became the Word. He became flesh and dwelt among us, the Word. In the past, He spoke through the prophets in many portions, many ways. Today, He speaks the Word. There, there's no substitute to hearing from God through the Word. And the problem is not with His speaking. The problem is with our listening. We don't take time to listen for God's voice. And when He speaks, He's going to speak according to His Word. It's going to jive with His Word. That's what I mean. It's always going to jive with His Word. If you're hearing something that doesn't align with this Word, you need to throw it away. It's the Word. We are wired for worship. And when we fail to worship, we begin to worship other things. And Asaph asks two essential questions here. Look at verse 9. Let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. First question all of us have to answer is this. Who's your God? Who's your God? Who's your God? That's essentially what he says. And then he says, nor shall you worship any foreign God. The second question is this. Now, what do you worship? What you worshiping? And here's the thing. God's not fooled. We worship. We worship our true God. I mean, Asaph is talking to the people of God here. And he reminds them that they have chased foreign gods. They have chased after that which was no God. They've made up things to worship. Romans 1 goes on to say that, that they, instead of worshiping the Creator, they worship the created things. That they exchange the truth of God for a lie. That, that's the sin that's just in our hearts. Jeremiah 17, 9. Our hearts are desperately wicked. Who can understand them? That's why we have to listen to this word. Because Satan, in 2 Corinthians, masquerades as an angel of light, looking to deceive and destroy. He masquerades as an angel of light. There is a deceiver 
There is a, he is seeking to devour and deceive us. That's why we have to go back to this word, because he masquerades. He looks close. He'll pretend well. And Israel chased after these strange gods. They even made up things to worship. And, and God has invited us through the blood of Jesus. I mean, think about this. The eternal God, creator of the universe, invites us to come into his presence. That, that is an invitation that the Old Testament saint would have been blown away by. Only a, few, only, only a few people went into the Holy of Holies. And if you, they would tie a rope with some bells on to that priest when he went in there. Because if there was sin in his life, he would die. The bells would stop ringing and they'd know they'd drag his behind out. Imagine that. Hey, you're going to go in and represent the people. We're going to tie some bells around you just in case. What do you mean just in case? And now guess what Hebrews says? Approach the throne with confidence. When Jesus died, the veil was torn. God is saying, come on. Come on to me, all who are weary or heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me. My, bur- my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Come to me. And just like Israel, we too choose to pursue other things. Look, look with me at Luke 14, a picture of this. A picture of the, the tragedy of this. Luke 14, verses 16 through 24. The parable of the dinner. Listen to this. But he said to him, A man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of land, and I need to go look at it. Please consider me excused. Another said, I bought five yoga oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I married a wife and for that reason I can't come. The slave came back and reported to this master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to the slave, Go at once into the streets and the lanes and the city and bring in here the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The slave said, Master, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go into the highways along the hedges and compel them to come in so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who are invited shall taste of my dinner. God has done that through Israel, and they turned to other things. And he's made an invitation to us. Will we be too busy to come in? If we have come in, will we partake fully of the grace that God has to offer? Will we eat up, so to speak? I I read a quote this week by Louis Giglio regarding this, and and I want to share it. He pastors a church in in Atlanta, and he made this statement regarding our worship and and listening and follow. He says, follow the trail. Time, affection, loyalty, money. At the end of the trail, you will find a throne. And whatever or whomever is on that throne is what you truly worship. To be sure, nobody walks around saying they worship their stuff or a person. But the trail never lies. Follow the trail. He's saying, look at our lives. The question becomes for me and you, where's the trail lead? Where does your trail lead? 
who or what would we find enthroned at the end of the trail? And Asaph makes it very clear here. God demands exclusive worship from his people. He's very clear. Exclusive worship. And he reminds them of why. Not only that, he demands exclusive, absolute loyalty, and he's worthy of it. And you see the sense here, oh Israel, if you would listen. Verse 13, later on, oh that my people would listen to me. You, you see the, the, the longing of God that his people would come and eat up and taste of him. And a study of God's word, it's the same for us, a study of God's word, an intake of scripture, a memorization of scripture, a meditating on scripture, a, a, a sitting quietly after you've, thought, after you've read scripture and just allowing God to speak to your heart. Listening. Through his word. God's word is irreplaceable in our lives. Don't neglect it. Don't miss the opportunity to hear from God through His Word. Don't miss the intimacy. So don't miss the opportunity to praise. Don't miss the opportunity to remember. Don't miss the opportunity to listen. And lastly, don't miss the opportunity of being satisfied by God. God wants to bless. He longs for us to realize just how great He is. You see that in verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. He says, if you do that, I would bless your socks off. I'd subdue your enemies. I'll turn my hand against your enemies. I'll punish those who are pretending. I'll fill you with the finest wheat. I'll fill you with the finest honey from the rock. I'll satisfy you. If you would just turn to me, if you would serve me, if you would surrender to my lordship. And listen, satisfaction in God and obedience to God are directly related. You'll never be satisfied with God without obedience. It's not a work salvation. It's, res it's a response to grace. It's a response to grace. You'll never satisfaction to God and obedience to God are directly related. We, we must listen to Him and follow Him if we're going to be satisfied in Him and by Him. We think we know what's best for us, but we don't. God knows what is best for us. And our job is to trust Him. And He says here in these last few verses a couple of things. God alone saves. I, I'll subdue your enemies. Guess what? God has done that, by the way, to our greatest enemy, and it's death. He's destroyed it. He's removed the sting. He subdued our enemies. He saves. He satisfies. The, the fact that, that the, the word propitiation means that, a satisfactory payment. There was a payment, a debt that our sin does, required, and God paid it in full. He satisfied it. He propitiated it. And ultimately, it's not the stuff that we need. Ultimately, our satisfaction is in Him. Ultimately, it's Him that we need. 
you walk through the stuff that many of us in here are walking through, the stuff isn't what satisfies. It's the, per, it's the presence of the Lord. It's the, it's the promise of Him being with me. And, and when we choose to go our own way, He tells Israel and He tells us, when we choose to go on our way, we forfeit direction. God's Word is a lamp, it tells us. When we choose to go our own way, we forfeit direction. He says that quickly here. We forfeit protection. I'll subdue your enemies. I'll turn my hand against your adversaries. Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? There's protection there. But not only that, provision. We forfeit God's provision. But I would feed you with the finest. I'd satisfy you. God desires, hear me, God desires what's best. But we have to trust and follow Him. God wants us to be satisfied in Him. So much so that he put his own son on the cross that whosoever would believe in him would never perish but have everlasting life. Our hope is in God alone. And I close with this. The biggest hindrance to to God blessing us, the biggest hindrance to God blessing us is our sin. It's not the world. It's not other people. It's our sin. It's our sin. It starts here. It starts in the church. God has chosen to use the church. And when we look like the world, we're shortcutting not only ourselves, but we're shortcutting the world of seeing how great God is. When, we look, when our lives look like the lives outside, when all everything outside is going on inside the church, it is prevents our satisfaction and it prevents the world from seeing a people who are satisfied in God. And verse 15 is, a, is a scare, one of those scary verses. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to Him. He's talking to Israel, His people. Romans 9, 6 makes it very clear. I think it's 9, 6. Not all of Israel is Israel. There's going to be a whole lot of people who sit inside Israel who think they're saved because He says that you're not Israel. There's be a whole lot of people in the church who pretend obedience and He says it's not going to work out well for you. But you can, be, you can go through the, the actions outwardly and yet inwardly be self-willed and disobedient. That's what he's saying. You see that in Matthew 15. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching my precepts, but as taught from men. Going through the motions. Matthew 23, 27, same thing. And here's what I would close with. Make sure that you're truly following Christ alone. Make sure that you're trusting Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Not your good works, not anything else. Follow Christ. Follow Christ. It's raining. All y'all are going to small groups because it's raining. Follow Christ. Follow Him right to small groups, especially those that are outdoors in the, in the modulars that are not covered by a walkway. <laughs> Keep following. Keep following. But hear me, don't miss the opportunity. This is the word. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't get to the end of your life and figure out you've wasted your life. 